This week's episode of the Fat Packs Podcast is brought to you by the Collectible Card Club, Monster Breaks, and all our phone guests appear on the Spotty Hot Cash Hotline. And we are back. I am Eric, and this is the Fat Packs on the Beckett Media Podcast Network, brought to you by the Collectible Card Club, Monster Breaks, and Spotty Hot. What's going on, everybody? Uh, this is a little different, a little weird, a little uh, untimely, I guess. Well, it's not untimely. You know, Paul Paul had his last segment with us uh, last week, and I'm very thankful for my time that I got to spend with him. But this is a new era, a new day in uh, the Beckett media network uh of podcasts we have uh we have this one the fat packs and we have props i hope you guys are listening to that that's a lot of fun i have we do john and i uh, do that together so this is my first solo show my first full complete solo show with uh without paul so a little uh a little different little different feel here probably so hope you guys will just bear with me as we as we uh fix this there's nothing wrong. It really needs to be fixed. Just, we just find a new little format. So uh, let's let's just jump in here to do what Paul typically did, and give you a little new products. Um, fun week, new product wise. Uh, let's see here. Let's just scroll down. 2018 Super Break Pack Baseball that came out today. 2017-18 Upper Deck SP Authentic Hockey comes out today. 2018 TriStar Autograph Baseball New York Dynasty Edition comes out today. 2018 Historic Autograph Celebrity Vintage comes out today. Pokemon Dusk Main comes out uh, on Friday. And 2017-18 Leaf Masked Men Hockey comes out on Friday as well. All great products to go check out and uh, take a look at. Don't know much about that Pokemon one. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a gaming guy. But uh, that seems like it could be a lot of fun, uh, says Ian, our gaming ans- analyst. Um now let me check out new pricing. To be honest with you, I've been in meetings all week long, so I I have not been able to do much new pricing at all. But I'm going to click on our uh, our page here and see what's been done because I know the other guys have been working hard and getting it done for you guys as they uh, all as they always do. So back in media. All right, score football and Nami Kings baseball. Both knocked out and contender draft picks uh, football as well. That's all done for you right now available in your OPG. So, uh, yeah, here we go. That's it. That's the first segment. I don't I don't know how else to tell you that, but it's all done. So let's lay out the show. We had a uh, a big Tops Bunt push go out today on our website. Uh, Tops Bunt is a lot of fun. It's a, it's a digital aspect of collecting, and I know a lot of people are into it. So we had a nice rollout on the uh, Beckett homepage talking about Topps Bunt. And I just got done, I just wrapped up an interview with uh, Chris Verico uh, over at Topps who runs the Bunt program. So uh, we're going to bring that to you today. We're also going to bring you my interviews uh, with <clears throat> Chris Meany from uh, the Toronto Sports Card Expo. He's going to be on the show with me. And f- our first part of the interview that I did with Mark Henry, I say first part because Chris Meany is on this as well. He co-hosted this interview, this first part of the interview with me, and we're going to get that up all today on this show. Uh, so you're going to learn more about Topps Bunt. 
You're going to learn about who Chris Meany is. If you if you follow Daily Fantasy Sports, you, you should probably already know that. And then we're going to get the first part of Chris and I's in, uh, interview with uh, mean Mark Henry. Don't call him Mizark. He might get the world's strongest slam. All that's coming up next right here on the Fat Packs Podcast. You guys hang tight. We'll be right back. This is Sean Aronson, the play-by-play voice of the St. Paul Saints, your new favorite minor league baseball team, and you're tuned in to the Fat Packs Podcast. All right, guys, we're back after that quick break. And joining us now on the phone is our good friend Chris Vaccaro from Tops. This time we're talking about Tops Bunt. What's going on, Chris? Hey, man, how's it going? Good to be on with you. Uh, we are, we're doing good. Uh, happy to have you here. So just for our listeners who might not know who you are, please tell them, tell them what you do at Tops, and then tell us a little bit about Tops Bunt, uh, just a brief before we get real, real deep into it. Yeah, so I've been on the digital team here at Top since its inception back in 2012. I'm a director. I oversee uh, content and partnerships and uh, licensing and business development specifically for the digital team. And our Bunt app, which is the first app that we launched way back when, uh, six and a half years ago, it's uh, digital trading cards. You can collect them, trade them, and also play with them in a fantasy-style aspect in the app. It's available in the App Store and the Google Play Store. So it's... uh, it, it's it's having your collection in your hand and uh, interacting with baseball cards like never before. So you guys over at Tops were really the the forerunners here with with the digital stuff. You had you had you, know, you have Bunt, you have Kick, you have Star Wars app, you had all that. So what what did you guys see in the market that w- you thought that would make this a viable option to get into? So in 2012, it was just an idea. It was just a way for the Topps brand, which obviously, as we know and love, have been around since 1952 with cards and 1938 with gum. But they said, well, it's 2012 and the mobile space is growing. How do we be in that space? How do we be digital and how do we progress our brand a little bit? And uh, it, it was, let's, let's modernize collecting and let's put it in, in the mobile space with Apple and Android and let's see what it does. Again, that's just an idea. So in... Uh, in that April, actually the day was April 9th, 2012, I remember, because it was the first day I started here. Uh, it, it was just very cool to get it out there. We were happy and excited to have a mobile product. But then I would say in about six months, eight months later, we saw we saw fans' interest really peak. We saw the engagement go up, the amount of packs being opened and cards being collected. Our, our metrics were through the roof, and people were into it. So that was the first inkling of, okay, well, we're doing something good uh, for the fans, for the collectors that understand what Tops is all about, and then it just blew up from there. I mean, that was that was the baseball app, and then we had Huddle and Football and Kick and Soccer and Star Wars Card Trader, and you know, you, you were listing some of them. We have eight apps now, all of these years later, for different big name properties and and uh, brands out there. So that little idea grew into a full fledged digital business that we're pretty proud of. It, it really is that too. It's a it's a full fledged digital business. Uh, and collectors have gotten behind it like crazy. My first question I want to ask you about that is, like, did you guys understand the the resale potential that this had behind it? Did, was that even a concept that you guys had? Or has this surprised you as well? Because every day at Beckett we look at it and we're like, that's crazy. How? Why, why is this doing this? But it's awesome that it's happening. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> To be completely honest, uh, the secondary market and the resale value of what we were doing six years ago, that did not come up. That was not a thought. Uh, we we just wanted to make sure we had 
our strong product to make sure that we were we were making the brand of Topps proud and hoping that people would like it. You know, it was just let's get this thing out there and hope that it does okay. Uh, quickly, we ch- we changed what the business was. It wasn't just oh here's a base set. We then started releasing inserts and premium content and matching things that people would expect in the physical world, but digitally. So we started to develop pretty quickly things that tops were doing for 50, 60 years in the physical world. We had to figure out in a matter of weeks and months. You know, we we had card collecting. Uh, as a backbone and foundation of, of hobbyists, we understood it. You know, I grew up collecting cards from when I was five. But to be in the business world of it and understand it, how it affects our metrics and how it's going to grow from a finance and a revenue perspective, that, that was a whole other game for us to figure out pretty quickly. So, so no, early on we weren't thinking about the resale market. We didn't understand that this would be as big as it would get, especially uh, you know in the secondary market. But it's it's unbelievable to see. It it really. It increases the value of what we're doing personally. It shows that people care about this outside of the walls of our app, and the conversations are huge, and the message boards are big, and the, the discussion on social media is huge. So I think having these secondary markets and having people resell our stuff out there, I've said it before, it's, just, it's more credence for us to, to love what we're doing, knowing that the fans also love it. That's definitely a reason to continue to do it too, because uh, everybody does love it. It, it. The reaction is is positive every day, and it's it's kind of kind of crazy to see, especially with the autographs, because I mean that's that's a whole different concept of autographing that I don't think the, just the general collector understands. Why why are those so popular, and how does that come to be on the app? Yeah, that, that's a special question and topic for me because I developed the live digital signings myself about a year and a half ago. I guess I guess now it's probably uh, late 2012, no, sorry, late 2016 when we, when we released those things, which again, we call them live digital signatures. For years, we've had facsimiles, you know, those have existed in the physical and the digital world for many different products and many walks of life, but we were able to say, well, if a guy actually signs or a girl actually signs a card with a tablet and a stylus, and they're actually putting their signature on that, whether it's digital or a physical item, they're actually doing it. It's live. It's happening in person. I'm physically getting it with them, and then we're promoting it and marketing it with images showing them sign that. We've created an extension of the physical world in digital form, which is unique in itself. If you're, if you're on our apps and you're collecting digital cards and you know living in that space as it is you understand it if you're talking to somebody that hasn't been on our apps that doesn't understand digital collectibles that just doesn't know what we're doing then the conversation is you know i really have to educate them on it but if you're in our world you sort of understand what the power of a signature does whether they're doing it live or whether it's a facsimile by us branding it and saying hey this is something that this person literally signed themselves with a stylus with a tablet with me as the witness and I've done hundreds and hundreds of these myself personally, so I can attest to it. Uh, it just establishes something that really develops a new piece of premium content that extends the vision of our brand. So it's been unbelievable. Uh, you know, I've handled almost all of the signings myself, almost all of the licensing myself, and to see the uh, the reaction from the athletes saying how cool it is, how responsive the technology is, mm-hmm. and how unique it is, uh, that's special for me. And uh, that sort of brings it full circle that if the fan is happy and the athlete is happy, then we must be doing something right. Yeah, that's, again, a testament to what you guys are doing right over there with this because everybody is happy. 
uh, especially those who really get into this side of the collecting thing. Again, it's brand new. So I was wondering, it's brand new in in a sense that it, it seems not, it's it's young. So how has the Topps digital brand grown, but specifically from inception to like how many users do you have now that are active on a daily basis? We don't talk specific numbers based on people that are coming in, but it's been a consistent rise from day one. Um, yeah, almost all of our fans that are in the app are playing our contests every day. Uh, you know, you can see from the amount of packs opened, uh, which across all platforms this year, we reached 1 billion packs open. So that gives you an idea of how many people are in these things without being too specific about the user data. Uh, you know, you can see card counts. You can see the amount of... Uh, the amount of people playing the contest on a daily basis. So the metrics are there, you know, in plain sight for the specific areas that you know to look at. Uh, but the, the interest has increased. The amount of people that are playing the apps over the years have increased. And the secondary market, as you alluded to, that's increased. There's more and more items out there. And I think all of it relates back to the content, which over the course of 365 days in a year, every single day, there's at least one new thing that's out there. And honestly, there's probably two or three new things every day. But without a doubt, every day for you know six and a half years, it's been new content, and that you know that's important for us. But with that new content comes more people, more users, more packs opened, more reason to collect. You, you mentioned contests, and I want to talk about the fantasy aspect of this now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a cool concept for for collectors to get involved with tops and with fantasy baseball, and just it, it adds an extra aspect of collecting there that uh, is otherwise missed in physical form sometimes. So, can you explain the fantasy aspect for us? Yeah, so you can collect those cards that you're getting in these digital packs, and they all score in real life as players perform in real life. The back of these cards are not. Um, career or yield stats uh, and a funny fact the back of our cards in the digital world is real-time dynamic scoring so you can track a player's performance that day that week that season and it goes up and goes down as they're performing in real life so uh you know you have another reason to play our apps beyond just collecting and trading these cards are living breathing dynamic pieces of collectible uh, collectability that uh, speak to how the player is performing. So it's pretty interesting. It's unique. We have a number of different contests every day and every week where the fans are able to compete for more cards, more rare cards, um, different currency totals, uh, bragging rights, different prizes. In the, in the uh, postseason, we usually give away physical prizes, You know, whether it be autographs or bats, balls, hats, all these different fun things. So it's definitely taken a life of its own. Uh, and those cards, the, the prize cards in our fantasy uh, uh, contest. If you win them, if you're lucky to, those become some of the the most rare and most odd cards out there because you have to physically do something to to get it. You can't just open a pack and get lucky. You have to be able to play and use some sort of fantasy skill, if you will. Uh, and it makes it a you know it's a fun process for everyone that gets involved. Speaking of fun and new, let's talk about the fusion aspect. What tell us about the fusion cards? Yeah, it's it's one of those areas of the app that we've expanded on. Uh, in 2018, because we don't update so many features every year. We don't change it drastically, but this allows users to upgrade their cards through trading in the app itself. 
Uh, trading has been a, a big part of Bun since day one, uh, but users have been able to trade with each other in, in many different ways, you know, uh, directly through our fan feed. Um, but with Fusion, uh, it's, it's an additional feature uh, next to card exchange, and so if you're familiar with Bunt, if you're listening, you know what what card exchange is. It's it's uh, you know where you can go in there and you can throw your one card and get multiple cards back and vice versa. But rather than exchanging duplicates of one card for a specific card in Fusion, this allows fans to trade in multiple cards from a specific parallel for a random card from the next highest parallel. So there's a, like, a lot of insider baseball talk there, um, but the exclusive fusion inserts can be obtained by using uh, by fusing 5, 10, and 20 gold parallel cards. So if you're lucky enough to get these gold parallels, you go in and fuse them, and you're going to get some rare items back. So it's uh, similar to card exchange, but it's in addition to that feature. And it's really just it's like playing against the system uh, and playing with your collection to get better um odded and rarity cards that you, know, you would never be able to get otherwise that's that adds a whole different concept of, of collecting that uh it cannot be really achieved in in the physical form because I mean, these are these are rare and they're exclusive to top spunt so that's another aspect that our my listeners should definitely check out uh top spunt for because it just I mean, if you guys are in for the chase this is a hell of a chase that you get to, to be a part of and it's a lot of fun Right, and, and you're and you're going up against the system to to get things that you, again you can't do that in the physical world. I mean, unless you went into a hobby shop and said, "Hey, I'll give you these cards if you give me those." That, that doesn't usually happen either. So this is it's a I don't want to say a gameplay feature, but it's definitely a, a, a featured piece of development that we've built over the last year or so, and it's new for 2018 in this form, uh, and it keeps our fans busy, keeps them coming back to do something else. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Now, there is the physical Bunt card. You guys put out the Bunt set uh, every year, which is awesome. But what are, some of the, like, what are some of the chases that cannot be found in the physical Bunt set or vice versa? What, what's, is, there, is there a parallel at all? Uh, no, that's a, like a loaded question because there's <laughs> so many. So just uh, speaking about the physical Bunt set, we've done those a couple years, and it's, it's an unbelievable thought and idea that we went from a digital business and turned something physical which right. is very very bizarre and and i don't know if it, i don't know if we're going to do that again we're probably not going to do it again next year for for a number of reasons logistically internally um but the the question of what else is out there what other parallels exist what can you collect in the i mean there's just so much like i was saying we release so many cards every day throughout the year um many of them Bunt exclusive, meaning that it doesn't exist in the physical world and it's okay. only in our app. I, without naming specific sets, because you know we we release things year over year that are that are the same name but have a different look. Um, I, I would like to give a shout out to the designer that comes up with most of that. It's uh, Tops Dan, as you would see on Twitter. Dan Polito, who's our one individual baseball designer on this app. It's not some factory of people. It's, uh, you know, two, two producers and one designer that are basically running Bunt. And Dan, all of these Bunt exclusive cards that are out there that only live in our app, that's him. That's his brain. That's his artistic uh, and creative mobility as a baseball fan and a card fan. So there's just tons of stuff. He's probably been here about three, maybe three and a half years, maybe a little longer um, and anything that you see that comes out there um, that, that, that you have not seen in the physical world, that's him. So, uh, there, and there's a lot to come. I mean, it's, only, it's only late May or mid-May right now, so there's tons of evergreen sets that you'll see come out 
uh, and, we, and we love that stuff because you just can't see it anywhere else, and, and it's coming from his heart, which means a lot to us internally. That's hey, congratulations, sir. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's talk about uh, Shohei Otani, who he he is driving the physical market, uh, secondary market. Is he doing the same in top spot? Is is everybody chasing Otani there? People are chasing him. Are are. Our economics and the way we do things with our operations are slightly different from the physical world, so we have the ability to release as many or as little Otani cards as we want in as many different sets as we want, bunt exclusive or re-releasing some of the physical sets in digital. So you'll see him throughout the year. Obviously, we don't want to release too many of his cards, so we oversaturate the market with it. Um, and, and we do see an uptick in sales and pack opening uh, when we have an Otani card out there. It's not going to push our business in a massive direction with one player. Um, it's just the way our, our business works with the timing of releases and the amount of content that we put out there. It'll help, but it's not going to drastically change the landscape of what we're doing digitally. That being said, everything we release with Otani on it, it goes very quickly. Uh, you know, There's plenty of stuff out there of interest for our digital fans to collect, and I know that it's doing very well in the physical business, and especially with Tops Now and uh, the Tops Living set and all these different things going on with the e-commerce business upstairs, I like to say. They're on the sixth floor, we're on the fifth floor. Um, and it's great for baseball. I mean, it's just it's a, it's a global superstar. I mean, we have plenty of guys... Um, you know that, that grew up in America or in the, um, the the South American countries that have been great over the years, but to have somebody that's uh, from the Asian market come here, similar to what Ichiro did, but unlike Ichiro, this guy's throwing harder than Noah Syndergaard and hitting the ball farther than Aaron Judge. So, so it's it's just wild, and and I'm happy to see it because it's good for baseball. That's I man during spring training he was you know kind of iffy, but once the season started, he just. He, it, it, everything was out there on the table, and it it it, it completely shown why the Angels, you know, went out there and chased. Uh, I, every every MLB team went out there and chased him because he's been awesome to watch. It's just been a real pleasure. So, tell my listeners how they can get started with this. Like, just just the I'm I'm sure it's as simple as go get signed up, but there's so much more to the app than that. Tell them why they should be doing this and uh, how to get started. Yeah, so if you go to the App Store or Google Play, just search for Tops or Tops Bunt specifically for the baseball app, and you'll see it. It's free. Download it. Uh, when you first open the apps, there's a lot to do. So to, to break it down very simply, just test the waters with some packs. Uh, read the news articles in the news feed to see what we're all about, you know, from the last day, the last week. There's, there's a lot of information in there to explain what these cards are, what the specific sets are that are out now. If you click on the individual packs, there's information about what's in there. So it, you, you may be overwhelmed with the amount of packs because we have a lot of content. Just read each thing and you'll be able to see what it is that you're chasing. And usually the pack art is, is very, very uh, descriptive, so you can see. Um, personally, like any other collector, I have specific brands that I like and things that I chase, and I'm a big Mets fan, so I go after inserts where I see my favorite players and favorite teams in, just like I would in the physical world. I would recommend doing the same thing, because if you go into one of the, one of our apps, doesn't matter which one, all of them, and you try to collect everything, it's literally impossible. There's premium content, there's, there's content that you can get for relatively nothing, there's the content that you can win in the contest, as we said, there's content that you can fuse with and get better parallels and more, more rare items, so there's a lot going on. But if you break it down and you sort of figure out what it is that you want to collect, 
that will make it much easier for you. So I, I wish our our current and future collectors well in the process. And and to answer your question of why why they should do this, think about it like this. You can watch your movies on your phone. You can listen to music on your phone. You can read books and magazines on your phone and get all your news from there. So why not be able to look at a card collection on your phone? It's not taking away from the physical world. Uh, I still have all 30, 40, whatever, thousand cards from my life. Every single card I've ever collected from when I'm five years old to today, I have. But I'm able to look at all these other special cards and adore the Topps brand and look at my favorite players and play with these cards in the fantasy setting, uh, unlike I can do in the physical world, and it's in my pocket. And uh, as an enthusiast of art, as an enthusiast of creative value in sports and entertainment, I love looking at the cards that are on there. It just uh, as a conversation piece, hey, look what our designer did. Hey, look at this theme. Hey, look at the story they're trying to tell digitally. Um, many different reasons why you should at least give it a try. You've convinced me. I'm going to sign up right now. No, well, you should have already been signed up. <laughs> I should have. I, I, I really should have. I'm going to have to delete some of the pictures of my kids on the phone so I can get space on the room. Uh, my, I'm just kidding. I'm well, kidding. Put them in your Dropbox account. I'll do that. I'll do that for sure. All right, man. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. But before we get out of here, please let our listeners know uh, where they can find you on social media, where they can find uh, Tops Munt on social media so they can be uh, in tune with everything that's going on. Yeah, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Just search Tops, Tops Digital, uh, and then all of our individual apps. We have mo- probably you know up to 15 different handles between the different social pages. But if you search Tops Bunt, uh, or Tops Digital, you'll be able to find our accounts. And uh, we are very active on social. We have a great community manager, Emily, who uh, handles all that, that talking back and forth with the fans. But our producers are also posting all day long on our social feeds about what's coming out. So the, the social media accounts for our individual apps are extensions of the app itself if you want to know what you should be collecting right now because the stuff comes in and out very quickly. So it's very uh, exciting to follow us on all channels. Please, guys, go do that. Uh, I've we've been following him for a while around here, and it's fun to see what's going on uh, in the top spunt world and top's digital world. So, go get behind them and do that. Uh, Chris, thank you again for joining me today, uh, and I look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you at the national. All right, man. Thank you very much for uh, having me on. Great to talk tops, and uh, yeah, hope to be out in Cleveland. Awesome, buddy. Thanks, man. You guys, hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Joseph with CJP Card Breaks. You are listening to the Fat Packs. All right, guys, we're back after that quick break, and joining me now is the voice that you've heard the uh, the rest of these these interviews that we've been doing this expo, uh, Mr. Chris Meany. What's up, Chris? How are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for doing this with me. Um, thank you for doing this with me. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, so please let our listeners know uh, your background, where you come from, and uh, how long you've been podcasting. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from Canada, Nova Scotia. So I've been, I, I started out doing, you know, radio work at a classic rock station. Oh, okay. So I was doing, you know, weekend, you know, mornings, and I really wanted to get into sports. And I did a couple podcast things on, on the side, just for fun, really. Sure. So I wanted to get into sports. I moved up to Toronto. I took some more schooling. I had already had a radio and television program before. I did some more schooling in Toronto. Made a fantasy website for fun one night with a buddy. We were having some some pops, and it was his birthday. And we just decided to make one. And um, then I, you know, I met somebody in college who was launching the Fantasy Sports Network in Toronto. So it's been uh, we just had our fourth year in in, um, in March. So we've been just over four years and. I've been doing podcasts and producing television shows and radio stuff 
I think just ever since then. Really. Awesome. That's that's good yeah. stuff. Now, uh, as you know, we're a collectible show. We're not going to get much into collectibles because what I really want to talk about is uh, DFS, Daily, Daily Fantasy Sports. Um, you are also on the a guest from time to time with the fantasy footballers who have probably the best hands-down oh, yes. fantasy football podcast out there. So how, how did you get hooked up with those guys? Yeah, so at the Fantasy Sports Network, part of just producing shows uh, was, for me, was all about getting guests for sure. shows. And, um, you know, I reached out to them. We had them on the network several times. And then I, you know, I actually, it's a funny story. And it was week two. They kept asking me. They're like, "Okay, so you're a daily fantasy sports guy." You know, they couldn't really play a, a lot there a few years ago, of course, mm-hmm. with some of the the laws or whatnot. Right. And uh, they had me on their show to give a little daily spin every, sure. every once in a while. I had a, a good showing in fantasy pros one year, and you know, so we're like, "Hey, you know, it's kind of a." I had you on our, our my show, and right. they asked. You know, I was like, "Absolutely," because I, you know, the, like you just said, they're they're fantastic. Right. right? So they, they had me on to do uh, every week just a little five-minute thing, a daily daily fantasy spin, which guys did you like? And I remember one one year I told them Gary Barnage was a, the cheapest tight end in fantasy football, and we kind of all laughed about it and joked, like, there's no way he's going to have a good game. Like, And it was just all about the matchup playing Oakland, and they right. hadn't been bad against tight ends. So Gary Barnage ended up having a couple touchdowns, and it went from there to, to now I'm on a regular show with them. Right. Um, once a week, we did it last year, was the first year. DFS for the rest of us is... is what they branded it, you know, a little Seinfeld there. And, uh, you know, ever since then, it's been do, writing some articles with them and I'm going to continue to do it this year, too. So it'll be, um, you know, several articles, a good dozen between myself and and uh, a couple other people. Ben Cunningham is one guy. And, right. and we'll be once a week podcast. So, first of all, great Seinfeld reference, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so Gary Barr is like, so how you're, you're, in, you're in Ontario, obviously. We're up here in, yes. in, in, the, in the great country of Canada. How much research and effort you put into following American football a ton yeah yeah absolutely um, tons I'm all over it from and that's the thing with with these guys they're so good obviously the footballers and you know we gather together and some of the information and a lot of it and you know that was an example was um, you know one time I talked to Matt Forte and he told me it's a copycat league and I asked him specifically about hey the week before sure you know um, you would play at Oak team that played Oakland, Gary Barnes lit them up, tight ends, and it seems like they're struggling uh, to cover the tight end position, and you know, you guys are playing, you know, Oakland coming up, Martellus Bennett was tight end at the time, is that the game plan, I know you don't want to share any secrets, but he's like, it's a copycat league, <laughs> so he kind of told me. So yeah, I'm looking into all, all kinds of information, like which which teams obviously, you know, are good against the run, bad against the one run, which, you know, teams struggle against slot wide receivers, sure. which, which players to kind of tackle, and it's all about daily kind of finding some value going about it that way and so yeah this the research is, is non-stop so with these news this draft class coming in yeah. th- does it just add to it now that you're gonna have to find out all these guys and yeah teams? obviously the preseason is gonna help see who's gonna make the team but do you have a beat on a guy right now that you think is gonna be be good in the league well obviously i mean saquon barkley who just oh, went of course, yeah. you know second overall he's gonna be a hot commodity in fantasy this year and it's gonna be warranted i mean um, he's you're gonna to have to spend a first round pick on him he's he's a three down back there's not mm-hmm. a lot of them so already uh started an article on fan tracks top 10 rookies i'll dive into it a little bit later 11 to 20 but you're right battles are gonna be won through camp yep. running backs especially uh you know there's 
Darius Geis, opportunity oh, yeah. in Washington to be the man, but there's still some guys there, Rob Kelly and Samaj P. Ryan, and those are battles that you're going to want to follow throughout you know, camp and see who kind of leads away in preseason. You know, a lot of people say preseason doesn't mean anything, but it means a lot for these rookies yes, who are coming in, and you know, Barkley doesn't have any competition really in New York, but a guy like Geis is going to have some competition. Royce Freeman in Denver is going to have a little bit of competition with, with Booker there. and uh, So for, for wide receivers, it's... It's it's it wasn't a draft where there's like Julio Jones or right. AJ Green. It wasn't one of those drafts. There's, these guys are more like two, three nice pieces for their team. Sure. So you know maybe an Anthony Miller. I'll throw his name out. There's a guy in Chicago who's going to have an opportunity. This the whole wide receiver core in Chicago is just revamped. They brought in Allen Robinson. They signed Taylor Gabriel. They got a new coach in Matt Nagy. He was a pass happy offense. Uh, he ran parts of it in Kansas City. So Anthony Miller is going to have an opportunity to jump in and, and be the number two guy there. So it's all about opportunity, right, really, with right. these rookies. So I'm going to ask you to do a little future prediction here. Uh, Dez cut by the Cowboys. He's out there. If he say he lands on a team, is he an instant fantasy impact, or is he? Is you can kind of wait and see. It's it's kind of a a little bit of a wait and see. Obviously, the, the situation where he goes is it's going to be a big part of it. Mm-hmm. If he goes to a team. Like Seattle right now, who you know they lost Jimmy Graham, they lost Paul Richardson, they have Doug Baldwin still, but he has an opportunity to be the two there. That right. would be a good landing spot for him. Sure, he go, he's he's going to pick his his team mm-hmm. pretty carefully, and it's all about you know there's some reports that Baltimore offered him a big time deal. He didn't want to go there, you know. Right. There's a Michael Crabtree's there. Whether he wants to be inside the division and, and beat up on the Giants and remains to be seen. That's what he said. But right. it's I think Dez is. I think he's lost a little bit of a step. Mm-hmm. Hard to, to get separation now from him. Went up against some tough corners last year. Didn't get that separation. Didn't have those games. But he still has has it in him. He could be in a new role. Maybe it's a slot. I could see him being a slot wide receiver. Sure. But um, it's all about the destination for him, for sure. And, and there's some teams out there that need wide receivers. Yeah. You know, I just mentioned Seattle is one of them. The Jets don't have some. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't want to go to the Jets. And he's, he wants to win a Super Bowl. But it'll be interesting to see where he goes. And I think he'll go somewhere where he is the two. He's not the man. Yeah. And he's a nice complimentary piece um, for the team. I, I Watching him in Dallas for so long, I question if he can do that, uh, attitude and personality-wise. But if he if you were to go to somewhere like Seattle, I think that's a good fit for him. Uh, Russell Wilson is, you know, he's, he's not the greatest quarterback, but he's good. You yeah. know, he's a Super Bowl quarterback. Absolutely. So I, I can see a, a good Doug Baldwin – Des Bryant one two punch. It'll be yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting where Des goes now that the draft is done. We're, we're hearing more things about Des and some you know some reports that you know teams won't give him the minimum because of things you just talked about, right. some attitude problems right. and some some separation right. issues. But I think um, he still has some game definitely right. in him. It'd be interesting to see if he went to a team like Houston where they already have a DeAndre Hopkins, you got a nice young quarterback, Deshaun Watson there. Sure, Fuller over the top. Like that's a guy who if he's fine and he can put his ego aside and. Fine with hey, six seven targets a game, four right. or five catches, six right. or seven yards. He could really that would, could be the difference of them being a Super Bowl contending team and yes. having a guy like Desmond. Yes. Just, yeah. All right, we're gonna wrap this up real quick because uh, we have to go interview Mr. Morris, Jack Morris. But before we do, you told me a great story yesterday about Sidney Crosby when you were younger playing hockey. Can you please share that yes, with my listeners? For sure. So <laughs> as I said, I grew up in Nova Scotia where Sidney Crosby is fun and. Um, so I grew up in Nova Scotia where Crosby Crosby grew up and played hockey for sure. And 
I, we always kind of heard about Sidney Crosby, like, yeah, he's really good, he's going to be the next Wayne Gretzky, be the next best thing. I never got a chance to play against him until a tournament in Cape Breton where uh, I, we had heard about him, obviously, wanted the opportunity to play against him, was told, you're going to have to get to the championship game to, to play against him, and we did. And I was 13, he was 11, we lost 8-7 in the championship game, he had seven goals, unbelievable at that age still and the attention that he got from I mean yeah we're 13 but we had some goons on our team still at 13 who were giving you know giving them business and so like I respect him so much of all the hard work that he's ever you know that he's had and and guys all over him and what he's been able to accomplish so far in this this year but one thing that stood out to me in that game and I remember I'll never forget it taking the opening face off against him and holding a Paul Coffey Shearwood stick and realizing when I'm taking the face off against this 11 year old phenomenon that he had Crosby on his blade. That's like ridiculous. He already had his own stick, so I knew right then and there he was well on his way. I remember going back to the bench and telling the guys that he had his blade and the coach telling me, get your head in the game, get out there and, and try to stop this kid. But, yeah, he was an, an 8-7, 87, of course. It just seemed, numbers that seemed wow. to follow him all. That's, ama- that's an amazing story. It's a very funny story. So uh, thank you, Chris, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, I look forward to... Uh, following your picks on uh, DFS. I'm a Foot Clan member, so nice, nice. Uh, look into, uh, hopefully, I'm just starting to understand daily fantasy sports, because I was doing it all wrong, and you guys helped me out tremendously last year, so I'm looking forward to a better season this season. Um, I probably shouldn't have said that on air, now they're going to think that there's some inside <laughs> work there, right? No, but uh, thank you for jo- joining us today, and uh, let's go rock this Morris interview, Let's okay? do it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Thanks. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to the Fat Pack. What was that moment like? Let's start there. Oh, man, I'm, it, was, it was a good connection with the crowd. Uh, a lot of times you, um, you talk about yourself and you feel like you're bragging. Yeah. The Hall of Fame is the only time where it's okay. <laughs> you were chirping. You were giving some chirps. Well, I did my best. You know, I just told people what you know what I felt about situations that I felt about, and what uh, made me a wrestling fan as well as a competitor, and uh, it went across real well. Mark, speaking of being a wrestling fan, I'm from Texas myself. You down there in Silsby, just north of Beaumont. You know, okay. I, I'm a, I have, I'm the Dallas Fort Worth area, so I had the Von Erichs and the WCCW. What, who were some of the Texas wrestlers that you uh, looked up to growing up? Well, I mean, definitely the Von Erichs, but um, like there was a guy in Houston, uh, Iceman Kings Parsons. Yes, that I, I used just to saw like. him two weeks ago. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Man, <laughs> I, I was a big fan of his when I was a little kid, and um, uh, there was a guy. He was from like um, Vietnam, and um, he was like his. I think his name was like Nam or Name. Okay. Yeah. Big dude, big dude, mm-hmm. and um, I actually saw him and Andre. Uh, go at it, and he was probably about six eight, three hundred pounds. Yeah. So it was a big dude. Sure. And uh, him and Andre went at it, man. It was like that was one of my childhood favorite matches. There you go. That's a nice one. Was that a goal for you when you were younger? Was it to obviously maybe dreaming of being in the Hall of Fame for WWE, but never. Was that? Did you ever think that you know wrestling? This Not is what you one, wanted to do. How'd you get have, into it? I didn't have one dream about being a wrestler. I, I just enjoyed watching. Um, I, I enjoyed going watching the matches with my grandmother because she was the biggest wrestling fan in the world. I mean, mm. like, would spend all the money <laughs> to, 
to drive places and watch wrestling. So, so it, it made out good for me. So when was like when did that moment happen for you where you knew that, that you were going to be you know involved? You know what? Uh, Vincent Vince McMahon called called me in um, in '95, and he he was very adamant about. Um, me being a professional wrestler because he saw me on TV mm -hmm. talk about I was a wrestling fan, you know, and that people it's embarrassing. People say, "Oh, wrestling is phony and it's not fun," you know. And I'm like, "Who are these people?" Like, you know, wow. it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, wrestling is awesome. So, um, you know, I was I guess he saw me. The, the biggest thing was on, on Oprah. Uh, I said how much of a wrestling fan I was, and he called me like the next week. Very nice. So that was uh, that was kind of my introduction to meeting somebody finally that was in wrestling because I had never really met anybody. Now I had seen a, uh, an interview with you recently talking about how how you had to get prepared for wrestling because you were a power lifter. You had short three five three to five second bursts of energy, and coming into the ring, you, you had to last you know fifteen twenty minutes sometimes. How big of a change of that was for you? Well, being a, you know, people that are sports people, you have aerobic athletes and you have anaerobic athletes. An anaerobic athlete is a lot of energy, a lot of rest. A lot of energy, a lot of rest. And that's the kind of athlete I was. Yes, sir. So to switch to uh, getting on a treadmill for 20 minutes straight mm -hmm. or doing up and down, up and down for 20 minutes, you know, uh, or doing anything for... Uh, a long period of time, it was difficult. Like it was just, you just, you would be sucking wind so bad. And um, after about a year, uh, you know, it kind of went away because, you know, it just, you know, practice. Sure. And um, when you add getting nervous to that conditioning phase, um, it, it makes you even more tired because a lot of people don't realize when you walk out there, sometimes people forget to breathe. Right. Like, they're so caught up in the moment that they're not breathing. I've seen people just pass out. And um, they're like, man, what, what happened? And you're like, hey, he stopped breathing. <laughs> <laughs> Is that some like advice you would give to somebody who's trained? And, you know, oh, I mean, like the, the, you always see um, uh, referees or, uh, you know, people around the business when the people start training. So I tell them, hey man, breathe. You're not breathing. And you know, it's like a constant thing. But you know, when you get older, it's, the more um, exposed to it you get, the easier it gets. And it's like riding a bicycle. You just, you know, go out there and do it. So when you came in, you came in with the Nation of Domination. You know, not immediately, but you guys hooked up. And you're, you're, you're with Farouk, you're with, um, I'm sorry, Ron Simmons, you're with The Rock, you're with uh, D-Lo. Out of, out of the four, I, I've heard some say that you might not have been picked to make the Hall of Fame, but you arguably had just as, well you did, you made the Hall of Fame, you, you, made, you had just an impressive career as the rest of those guys. What was something that Juan Simmons taught you coming in? What was something that, you know, Lerac taught, taught you? Um, every, you? You learn something from everybody. I mean, I, I can walk out there in the crowd and talk to these two boys right here in the front row. Yes, sir. And learn something. Like, I mean, you can't have a closed mind. That's, that's, that's kind of uh, Ron's uh, mantra, if you will. Like, you know, what did you learn today? Try to learn something. You can learn something from anybody. The Rock, um, the Rock is the hardest worker 
and the most studied guy I've ever been around. Okay. I mean, like, you know, y'all have papers up here with, you know, questions, uh, you know, stuff that you know about hockey. Sure. The Rock would have 12 pages of stuff that he was thinking about saying. He wasn't even going to say it. But he would have just prepared. Just he, prepared. he would have it. And uh, just over-prepared. Just like, it's like, man, what are you doing? And he's like, um, I'm thinking about saying this. What does this sound like to you? And then he'll say it, and he'll go, that's garbage. Like, <laughs> Good, I'm going to do this tomorrow. <laughs> Very nice. So before, like, the wrestling career, I want to know how it all started. I mean, you hold so many records. Strongest man, strongest teenager, still to this day. I mean, squatting 900 pounds before age 25. Like, how did that start? Like, do you remember the first set of weights you lifted, and how did that come about? Well, and um, I saw the Olympics in 1976. That was the first Olympics that I remember as a little kid, like these guys sitting up here, watching the whole Olympics. Like, wow, man. And the, the person that, that struck me the most was Vasily Alexiev. He was a Russian weightlifter. And um, like, he was very flamboyant. And it was fun because he, you know, when he came out, people threw roses at him, and he would put the roses in his teeth, and he would bow, and he'd go act like he was gonna jump in the crowd, and he'd stop. He, he was a wrestler, really. He, he should have been. Uh, he had a lot of personality, a lot of, like, um, uh, entertainment. Was entertainer, he yeah. was just an entertainer. He made you wanna watch weightlifting. And, and then that was a time when nobody was watching weightlifting. Not like that. And, um, so I, I saw Facility Alexiev and I was like, that's who I want to be. How old were you? I was six. Wow. Six or seven. And it was the summer, so I was probably seven. It was after June, that's in August. Yeah, I was seven. So like, I knew what I wanted to do at seven years old. I wanted to be the strongest man in the world. I just didn't know that that guy was the strongest man in the world. I just knew he was cool. Yeah. And um, once I, the older I got, the more I started begging my mother to buy me weights because I wanted to be strong. And she's like, you're already strong. And I'm like, no, I want to lift weights. I want to be stronger. <laughs> I want to be strongest. And, um, and, and she ended up buying me and my brother weights at, uh, at 12 years old, 11 years old. And um, every, all the kids in my neighborhood would come to my house and we would just lift weights. Wow. And, um, it was a good way to keep an eye on us. Yeah. <laughs> Some friendly competition too, I bet. We were throwing rocks in windows like all the rest of the kids, but we, we spent more time on the front porch lifting weights. Nice. Mark, speaking of entertaining, you had one of the most entertaining hill runs in recent history. And I, the, the moment that sticks out to my mind is your retirement speech, your false retirement speech, and you just you squashed Cena that night. Tell me, did you write that? Who wrote was that? Was that in the back? Who, who did that? Man, that was me. I, I, awesome. I, I, I actually was going to retire. And um, I spent about six months, you know, telling everybody, hey, this, this, this is it. I mean, eventually I'm going to make the announcement and it's going to be over with. And Vince just came to me and was like, man, you shouldn't retire. He was like, it's, it's still so much you can do. And during that time, you know, it was like, I got young kids. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, being able to go to a softball game or baseball game or uh, football, flag football or, you know, lacrosse or whatever they're playing, gymnastics, I was missing everything. Yes, sir. So I had this guilt of not being there for my kids. And um, Vince was like, listen, you know, your, your kids know you love them. Like, go out there and, you know, it's up to you. He was like, if you if you want to keep going, this is what we can do. And if not, I understand. Okay. So I, I made the decision pretty much um, 45 minutes an hour before the show. Wow. Oh wow, that's incredible. And um, it was like it was one of the best decisions I ever made. But you know, like now, you know, my son is playing lacrosse right now. And I'm here, so it's like you know, it's it's, it's constantly. You, you got to pay the bills. You want them to go to private school. You want them to be able to go to the greatest colleges in the country, around the world, whatever. So you know, you gotta you gotta sacrifice and do what it make, do what it takes to get that done. Lacrosse player, nice. Have you played? I've never played. Sport, man. <laughs> man, I'm I'm too old. I don't, I'm telling you, I don't want to wrestle. I don't want to get hit. I don't want nobody hitting me at all. So, so you're done? You're done? I'm done, you're man. Done? I, I'm, I'm done. I saw you, uh, so at first I, I'm going to give a shameless plug here. Uh, my son Eli loves you, by the way. We were <laughs> watching you uh, last week at the Greatest Royal Rumble. And you, your music hit, you came out, he jumped through the roof, and then you got eliminated immediately almost, and he was upset. So uh, can you give, first, can you give Eli a if, shout if out? It, if it was not for the big show getting injured, uh, I would not have been in that Oh, match. wow. The only reason I did that is to take Big Show's place. Okay. And, um, you know, people spent a lot of money to have be entertained, and I was not going to be like, you know, not giving their money's worth. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, like, you know, we, we there's a lot of respect that we have for the business, not mm -hmm. just our pockets. Right. Like, you, you know, I'm not going to say I would have done it for free, but I, I mean, you know, I, to to make sure that the business keeps going, I would have done it for free. Yes, sir. Just a passion. Just a passion. Just, you know, we, we don't ever want to show up and people leave going, God, that sucked. Right. You know, like you just don't, do, you don't want that because even if I'm not going to benefit from it, the business, if the business suffers, then, you know, the generations behind us won't have nothing left, you know. So you, you kind of got to leave the cabinet full. Thanks. Well said. Yeah. You look back on your career. Obviously, there's a lot of accomplishments, a lot of that you're proud of. But you just touched on the Olympics earlier. Is that one that really just kind of sticks out to you, two-time Olympian, getting that opportunity to to go that way? I mean, that's something you have to be pretty proud of. Oh, I'm real proud of it. I mean, it's a lot of work. I, I try to tell people all the time, like I'm the only human being walking Earth right now that has won a world championship in three sports that have nothing to do with each other. The, the, there was a fourth sport. I was a nat, uh, eight times national champion in Olympic weightlifting and went to two Olympic games uh, in another sport. And didn't win the world championship, but you know, I was not gonna sacrifice um, how I felt about my sport for cheating. Because I mean, if if I if I did thirty percent more, I would have won. 
but the people I always say, what if those people that were cheating were doing thirty percent less? Right. <laughs> If they, if they were doing 30% less, I would have won. So yeah. it was like, you know, whatever. You know, I, I I used to be real bitter and angry about people cheating and stuff. And, you know, I, I grew up, man. I was just like, you know, I'm still alive. I'm healthy. Um, They're all cheating themselves. Right? No, it's three of the champions are dead. Mm. You know, so it's a, it's a very, very stern price you pay to win a title when you cheat. Sweet. Mark, can we take some questions from the crowd? Yeah, man, I'm ready. Anybody have a question for Ms. Henry? My, my man ran up there. <laughs> <laughs> He's ready to go. I got a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I asked this to a couple of different wrestlers, and they, I don't know, but how easy or how hard was it to get along with Vince? And I, I presume you've got a good relationship with him over all these years. Is that true? Yeah, I've always had a good relationship with Vince. Uh, it's easy to have a, a good relationship with Vince if you're um, if you're straightforward. Vince don't like cowards. Like he he he, he thrives on uh, having contemporaries, not employees. Uh, there are guys that are, hey boss, how you doing? It's good to see you. Thank you. You know. And then it's like he don't want to be treated like that. You know, he wants to be treated like one of the guys. And if you treat him like a normal person, and you know he, he looks at you like, okay, this is my contemporary, not you know somebody that's uh, working for me. Anybody else? Come on up, sir. You gotta pull that microphone close to you. There you go. There you go. Why don't you tell us uh, your name too? Um, my name is Andrew, and I have two questions. Okay. No. <laughs> I can get up there, but it's the coming down part. Yeah. Uh, break both my legs off. And two, how painful is it to be slammed to a table? Oh man, uh, you know what? It, it actually hurts worse to be slammed on the floor to me than to be slammed on a table. Table kind of break your fall. When, when you get slammed, period, it, it, it hurts. It, it's, um, um, we make it look easy because, you know, like if I, if, I, if I slam this paper, you know, I'm gonna slam the paper flat on, on, the, on the table. Sometimes you, you slam, you hit like that, you hit like that, you know, it's like when you see those ugly ones, like they're the ones that really hurt. Mm. Ooh, man, you go and get in a, in a hot tub, and put Epsom salt in. You'll know what that is when you get old. Epsom like <laughs> salt. You got a ways to go. Thank you for the question. All right. Anybody Let's, else? One more? Yeah, we got another one here. Um, what's your favorite the, part? The of best dressed man in the building. Everybody <laughs> got on a bow tie. I love that. Um, what's your favorite part of wrestling? Like the entertainment, the traveling, your friends. The traveling is not it. Uh. <laughs> My favorite part, I think, is the um, after it's over with, having people go, man, why? How did you think of that? And like that's that's the the accomplishment. Like if if uh, and hopefully you'll thrive on accomplishment uh, when you work to have a result, and the result be, you know, whether a pat on the back or some money or just a good feeling. Um, 
you tend to want more of it. Like you, you just like it, it becomes like an addiction. Like you just want to do it all the time. And and that's 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 what I, I enjoy the most. I enjoy the accomplishment of putting something together that uh, people will remember for a long, long time. Awesome. Yeah, come on up. Oh, can I take it oh train wreck. We're gonna get the mic a little higher for you. Where's, uh, where's my mic at? Not that much higher. Uh, just wonder if you ever had any interaction with Andre the Giant, and also your thoughts on Paul Heyman. Um. I only had one interaction with Andre. I was uh, nine or 10 years old and I went and saw Andre at the Beaumont Civic Center. And, you know, like all the other kids, we would run to the barricade and try to reach out and touch him. And um, as I'm trying to reach out and touch him, these badass kids behind me knocked me over and my hands were on the ground. <laughs> And uh, Andre walking down, he saw me with my feet up on the barricade. He picked me up and no way. put me back on the other side, and he just kept walking. That was the only time that there was ever any interaction with me and him. But I, I knew that, like, man, like, Andre is the coolest human being walking earth. You know, like, I, I want to be like Andre when I grew up. But it, it wasn't a, a question of me saying I wanted to be a wrestler. I just wanted to be like Andre, you know. But um, as, far, as far as Paul Heyman, um, Paul Heyman is, is uh, as fearless with a microphone as Brock is in the ring. Like, I have a lot of respect for Paul because he's never met a microphone that he was afraid of. Like, he can, he can go in front of any crowd in the world and, and be Paul Heyman. Yeah. And if you don't like him, that's fine with him. Like, and a lot of people want to be liked too much. I've never, I mean, I, I like being, being liked, but I don't like being liked so much that I, I'll sacrifice my integrity for it. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure. I'm not gonna like, have to lie for people to like me. Right. <laughs> you know, like some people will though. Right. So it's like, um, I, I just look at it like, success is a byproduct of hard work. And if you work hard and you honestly give it all you got, that should be good enough. Yes, sir. But a lot of people don't feel that way. They feel like they gotta add and embellish and this and that. And um, that's something that I've never ever seen from Paul. Paul is authentically Paul Hayman. Like the guy you see, and he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Like a lot of people, we, we know smart people, you know people that, you know, mathematicians or something like, like Paul could be one of those guys. He's, he's really, really smart. Very nice. I think we have one more. Just bring it. Just bring it. <laughs> anyway, um, what's your opinion of being involved in the three count errors of the action era, the discussion era, and the current era? Um, which one do I like the most? Or? Uh, the difference to you? You know what, the, the, I, I like right now because I came in in the era of, the first era that I came in um, was the territories. Like I'm, I'm maybe one of the only guys, well not now, I mean you got Kane and a few other guys, maybe 
maybe 10 guys out of 80 that, you know, wrestled during that time. Um, it was a lot of competition and it was very cutthroat. Like nobody was in uh, support of another guy. Everybody wanted that guy's spot. Uh, I didn't like it very much. Uh, a lot of the guys were uneducated. Um, the guys weren't in good shape. Uh, it was just that they were in the business before you and they, they tried to hang it over their head. Hey, I taught you. Uh, you do what I tell you. You know, like that kind of philosophy. Then it changed and uh, people like me came along that were um, athletes or entertainers before wrestling. And, you know, I, I was the first developmental wrestler. Like they started uh, um, teaching you how to wrestle uh, with me. So that, that was pretty cool. And people like, you know, D-Lo and, and Kane and Christian and Edge and the list goes on of guys that, uh, Valvinas that came through those programs, um, we helped get that, that, that rolling. And it, it just so happened that that coincided with the Attitude Era. So, you know, as we were coming up, and blending in with the attitude era, we really didn't know what we were doing. You know, we were starting to get it, but it was um, still wasn't all the way there. We weren't stars. Steve Austin was a star. Rock was a star because he just got it faster than everybody. But um, you know, Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, and you know, I mean, the list goes on. The guys you know who were in the attitude era. Uh, but it would, it didn't belong to us. That was, you know, that. Um, and then coming in after the Attitude Era, we became more corporate. Uh, the WWE changed its name to, from WWF to WWE. Uh, they sold shares of the company and the company became uh, publicly traded which means that now it's not just ran by Vince's man, it, it was run by a board. And um, the expansion of women's wrestling changed. It, it, it ceased to be bikinis and uh, all wrestling and whatever, you know, stuff that might have looked negative to the masses. Uh, and women started getting more respect and uh, the, the money went up for the women. Um, it, it just, it, it, that, this era now, um, people have a, a, a greater respect for the business. And they realize that one person don't make the business. Like it's a collection of everybody. And um, that's, that's one of the reasons why I like it. And I, I like the fact too that there are guys and girls that as I'm on my way out, I want to see people come in and, um, you know, working with our talent development, I'm able to find people and say, hey man, like you ever thought about wrestling, you know, get people to come in. So uh, that's, that's, that's a good feeling cool. too. Yeah, it is. It's a good feeling. Thank you for the question. All right, we'll do one more? Yeah. No! <laughs> <laughs>
want to say my name is Luke. I'm a big fan of yours. I was actually scared of you when I was a kid. Of course. So now I, uh, I, you I want should to be scared now. <laughs> See me, I'm scared. I'm sitting next to him. Yeah. But my question is, I think personally uh, some of your best work was as a heel. Obviously the Hall of Pain was some of the best stuff I've ever seen in WWE programming. And my, my favorite moment still to this day is when you said you were retiring. It was a promo with John Cena. If you say you're retiring, and then you went in for the hug and gave him the world's strongest slam. That was one of the best moments that stuck with me. So I just want to ask you, did you prefer playing a heel character over a face? Because I thought you're one of the best heels the business has ever seen. I'll second that. You are a natural heel. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I was very comfortable with being a bad guy. It is because I knew who I was on the inside. And everybody that's ever met me knows like, you know, kind of who I am unless they walk up and slap me on my back or something and then I want to rip their face off. But, um, for, for the most part... Keep that in mind, people, by the way, when you see them this weekend. I, I always like people, you know, so me pulling the wool over their eyes was fun. You know, so I was out there having fun. And a lot of times you see me, I do something so... Um, so I shut up. <laughs> they, they, I do something so negative and mean and then I just start laughing like I just I enjoyed it and I think that the fans enjoyed it with me they, they saw me out there doing my thing having fun and um, you know the people that I scared you know like I'm not gonna apologize for it <laughs> Very awesome. thank you Thanks for the question, man. All right, thanks, Mark. Let's give it up for right. Mark here. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Chris from Slipknot. You're listening to Fat Pat. Boom, back to back to back. Interviews there. A lot of fun with all three of those guests. Uh, first, Tops Blunt. Man, that's a that's a product that I got to say that I honestly didn't completely or fully understand, and there's a lot of aspects there that I I still don't quite grasp. But the way that stuff performs on the secondary market, you can't ignore it. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, as like I said in the interview, we we see it every day. And we're like, wow, that happened. That's that's insane. And that's the general consensus in the office. So. Uh, Getting to talk to Chris uh, about that was a lot of cool, a lot of cool uh, information there for you guys. Hope you guys go check it out because uh, I, I legit downloaded it. It was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun to start working with here, and uh, I can't wait to see what that comes uh, brings in the day, day days to come. Next up, Chris Meany, uh, man, that dude, I can't tell you how unselfish he was. He he had he had no business letting me sit in on some of those interviews that he let me sit in on uh, up in Toronto. He could have ran that all by himself. He was completely and fully capable of doing so, but he was gracious to open up uh, open up the third mic for me and let me jump up there. So I'm really appreciative of that. Uh, if you guys don't know who he is, if you don't listen, if you don't use the Fantasy Footballers uh, podcast, if you don't listen to that and and get into what they're doing, especially for you DFS guys. Man, you're missing out. I don't. I don't know why you're not doing it because it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of uh, they got a lot of good information, and Chris is one of the best breaking it down for you. And that Sidney Crosby story, <laughs> you can't beat that. You absolutely cannot beat that Sidney Crosby story. Can you imagine being 13 years old and looking across the ice in a face-off and seeing young 11 Sydney 11 year old Sidney Crosby staring back at you? 
with a stick that already says Crosby on it. How ridiculous is that? Completely and totally intimidated at 13 by an 11-year-old kid. And um, the way he summed that up was great. And then finally, uh, Chris and I got down with uh, Mr. Sexual Chocolate himself, Mark Henry. Don't call him Mizark. He, man, I smartest dude in the game. Absolute, what a mind on that guy, man. He, and, and I know that maybe the way I'm saying that is not right, but just like I was, he's a thinker. And like he, he processed every question we asked him. He thought about everything, um, Everything that we asked, everything that we said, he thought about it. You could see his brain moving. You could see, you could see it in his eyes and the way he was, he was thinking about it. And it was really, I, I really appreciated that uh, on both parts of this interview that we do with him, the one that plays today and the one that will air next week. Um, he's, he, man, he's a thinker, and he, he really gave thought into what we were saying. And that means a lot to me as an interviewer because, you know, sometimes I can ask a question, just like when you're talking to your kids or whatever, you ask them a question, you can see that they're not really thinking about it. Um, it can become frustrating. And to, to know that the interview that he was doing with us, he, he didn't know who we were. He had no business knowing who we were. But he, he sat there and he gave us his time of day and he was courteous. And, man, I, I couldn't have been more pleased with these interviews. Really happy to bring them to you. With that being said, that's going to be it for this week, man. I am off. I'm hitting the road. I'm going to uh, Los Angeles for the uh, NFL rookie photo shoot. Can't wait to see what that brings. Excited to see Ivan and the GTS guys out there. I know Rob Bertrand is going to be out there too, Ivan and Rob. I uh, hope you guys are paying attention to their uh, their show that they're doing. Um, going to be a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff going on. I'm, I'm excited because I've never done this before. I've never been to this event a little disappointed that it's not happening at the Coliseum or the Rose Bowl where it usually takes place, but I believe Taylor Swift is in one of those places, and thus the other one is booked as well. And we're at, at Cal Lutheran, which you, you hear Cal Lutheran, and you're like, what? Cal Lutheran? That's a D3 school. You're right. It is a D3 school. But the Cowboys actually used to pra- practice there. That's where they had their, that's where they had their training camp. So if it's good enough for the Cowboys, I guess it's good enough for me. That would be pretty cool. Beverly Hills, I'm excited. I hope you guys have some uh, all-you-can-eat eateries. I doubt it, but I'm going to look for one. And uh, I'm going to go see see some uh, crazy cool stuff out in Los Angeles. Going to bring you a lot of content from there. Look for giveaways coming from that. I know that I know one for sure that uh, I'm going to try to make happen. Uh, I don't want to announce it just yet. But if it happens and I pull it off, it's going to be pretty legit. So all of that being said, thank you guys for listening this week. Thanks for hanging out with me. Hope you like the first solo show. Until next week, just keep listening. Cue the Jericho. Mission control, it's stories to be told. Foes decode these remotes. Broke down, but this behold. The illness from CO. Deep through the keyhole to see this one light. Leeches lurking in the darkness, won't leave living tonight. Punchline for fist fight, we cause they heads ain't fed right. How can you see my brother with no perspective of sight? Can't do good and live right. Kick snares and high hats, they be they get right. Here they give the blind sight. What? Me and my people just might tonight. Alright? Me and my people just might. Put the key.